Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. Welcome everybody back to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. I am so excited that you are joining me today. Today on the show, we are going to talk about sharks. Did that sound pretty good? Hold on, let me try that one more time. We're going to talk about sharks. Okay, I'm trying to do my New England accent right there because today on the show, we have shark researcher from Massachusetts, John Chisholm. He's actually been studying sharks for over 30 years. And on the show, we talk all about sharks. We focus a lot, of course, on everyone's favorite shark, or should I say, one of the most iconic sharks in the world. And that's going to be the white shark, also known as the great white shark. So I live in Idaho, which is a landlocked state. So we don't have uh, we don't have many sharks here in Idaho. But where John is in Massachusetts, sharks are all around, especially along, of course, the coast in Cape Cod. So I really enjoyed talking to John about what it's like living, you know, with sharks and coexisting with them. Of course, we talk about all the hot topics, including shark attacks how likely you are to be killed by a shark. We talk about what to do if you are attacked by a shark. We talked about how to prevent being attacked by a shark and all that type of stuff. Honestly, it is a fascinating interview with a lot of really good insight. And I've, like I said, man, I'll tell you what, after talking to John, I wanted to book a trip ASAP to Massachusetts to go see a white shark. Now, before we talk about shocks, I encourage you, as always, to rate and review the show. The ratings help, and when we get a review, it just helps push the podcast out to more and more people. And like I said, this podcast is a great free resource for anyone who's into animals or anyone who wants to work with animals. I mean, today we talked to John, who's been working with sharks now for over 30 years doing his dream job. And so, anyway, by writing a rating and a review, it helps push the podcast out to more people who might find this fascinating. And as always, join us for the after show. John and I have a great time in the after show. We actually talk about white sharks in captivity. We also discuss, you know, lesser known sharks, including the poor beagle shark. Have you ever heard of this shark? The poor beagle shark? I had never heard of the shark in my life and we talk about that. So join us for the after show. All you have to do is just head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. I'll put the link in the bio as well. Okay. With that said, let's talk about sharks with our shark researcher, John. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Corbin. Okay, so just tell the listeners what you just told me because we we just hopped on Skype and I was like, "How's it going?" And then you're like, "Actually, it's it's been crazy." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just as I was preparing for this, I got a call about a, a predation uh, off the coast of Massachusetts where a gray seal, a pretty big gray seal, was uh, um, killed by a white shark and uh, made it to the beach which often happens because the seal, especially with the big seals, the sharks bite them and back off and wait for them to die. But this one actually made it to the beach first. Oh, man. So they're calling you to just remove the seal because this, I mean. Well, they, no one saw it happen. So what they do is, you know, most of the time, like 90% of the time, we just find a carcass. Uh-huh. And there's other causes of death. So my job is to go down and I, you know, look for indications of, um, you know, shark predation, which I've already seen photos and 
this is like totally crazy coincidence, but my sister is out here on vacation from Arizona and she was on the beach <laughs> and she was the first one who called me and said, Oh, this is, there's a dead seal on the beach. So really coincidence, but Oh my gosh. I had, uh, so I had first hand reporting from her. So, uh, I'll go check it out after, after we're done with this interview, but I've already seen pictures. I already know it's, um, a white shark bite. They leave very telltale indications, um, when they bite a seal. Really? What are those indications? Well, um, different sharks have different tooth morphologies. White sharks, as we know, and most people know, you know, they have those big triangular serrated teeth. So when they bite the seal, a lot of times they, they leave little serrations from the teeth. And they also will leave, um, you know, the distinct tooth marks compared to other other sharks eat seals too we've had you know mako sharks um they leave a more jagged bite um so you basically look into identify not only if it was a shark bite or not but which species of shark actually was responsible for it wow you sound it sounds like you have such an exciting life man and you've been working <laughs> I, I did a little digging and you've been, you know, documenting, you know, sharks in this area in the Atlantic since the 1970s. Is that correct? Yes. And uh, I was eight years old. Eight when years I, old. Wow. The, the official database we, you know, we, we have now is uh, I started when I was eight. And uh, I was like born a shark biologist. You know, by the time I was four, I was drawing pictures of sharks on my father's, you know, he, he was... Um, he had, uh, I can remember it was like a little notepad where he kept track of all his expenses from his job and I would sneak in and draw sharks on it. And, uh, I, my mother actually saved some of those drawings, but I've just always been fascinated by sharks. And, you know, by the time I was in middle school, I, I wrote to Woods Hole and said, Hey, um, I'm ready to be a shark biologist. Really? <laughs> and, you know, they wrote back to me and said, well, you know, you, you got a long way to go. But um, but yeah, back really, I had always like had an interest uh, from a young age. So people would send me, you know, shark collectible stuff. You know, there wasn't much back then compared to now, but I'd take, you know, get newspaper clippings. And really, um, when I got got in. Um, you know, the late 70s, probably when I was eight years old, is that's when I said, you know what, I'm going to just not only keep track of recent things going on, because it was there was a shark that was caught off of um, the town I lived in. Mm-hmm. But uh, I started going back and digging through the history of shark sightings. Uh, another really crazy coincidence, my great-great-grandfather up in Prince Edward Island, Canada, actually caught two white sharks in his, his fishing net back in 1921, him and his brother. So um, I knew I've had, you know, I, I've been going up to Canada to, uh, you know, visit my relatives up there since I was one, <laughs> you know, so wow. I've had, had, you know, exposure to these stories and um, not just white sharks. All I'm fascinated by all sharks, but white sharks get the most attention. But, uh, you know, um, I've, when I was younger and I couldn't get out on the water and see these sharks, I would do my homework and read a lot and research the history going back you know centuries white you know white sharks have been here and there's historical records of them um so 
when people say to me, oh, this, you know, it's crazy. This is a new phenomenon. And it's really not. The white sharks have always been here. Um, it's just a, now we're seeing um, a rebound of the, of the population of gray seals, which is having a direct result on how many sharks are, you know, being attracted to them. There's, there's a couple of different factors, but historically they have always been, you know, off of Massachusetts, New England, and Canada. Wow. And all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico, you know, so I'm kind of a shark historian as much as I am a shark biologist. That's so interesting. And back in the day, and this is just me assuming, were there more sightings back in the day? No, but no. there also weren't as many people. Um, a lot, um, and I get this question a lot because um, we get sightings all the time now. You know, back when I was doing this in the 70s, I would flip through books, you know, and there'd be like one sighting for decades and then you know i'd find little pockets where there were more sightings like in the 1930s there were a lot of sightings off of massachusetts and usually by fishermen that would catch them uh accidentally or sometimes you know see them and harpoon them but there were very few records but it it was also you know just fishermen on the water for the most part there weren't many people on the beach um, when you re- read uh, Henry David Thoreau's book, Cape Cod, mm-hmm. he actually, and that was published in like the late 1800s, he talks about the, the white sharks off of, uh, off of Massachusetts, specifically off of Cape Cod, you know, referring to uh, the man-eaters and just the rumor of a shark would keep people away from the water. Um, but, you know, they were there. And when you compare it to today, you know, there's a million people at the beach everybody is walking around with a cell phone so they have direct access to the internet social media they all have cameras and video cameras in their hand so it's um you know it's really much easier and faster to you know share a sighting and um that is kind of like a you know it's it's great i love getting the data but it also you know when you try to compare you know, the 1860s to to today, it's really, you know, the, in terms of the amount of people at the beach, the the ability to communicate, it, it's not there. So you got to really dig to look for those historical records. And they're mostly through fisheries uh, catches. Mm-hmm. So let's just let's just break this. I just really want to ask you how many people are killed each year by sharks, because. I know you probably get that question all the time, and I know that you're out there trying to be a voice for sharks, but just for, for, for listeners, I mean, what are the odds? It's pretty slim, right? It's incredibly slim. Um, you know, worldwide, there's fewer than 100 deaths. There's A year? Um, yeah, and yeah. There, actually, there's like very few bites, ne- never mind deaths, but um, the the problem is because we get this question a lot. We know how rare it is. You know, what people compare, you know, you're more likely to be killed in your car on your way to the beach or, you know, more people die from coconuts falling and hitting them in the head. Oh. But the fact remains that the, the psychological um, impact of being bitten by a shark or killed by a shark just magnifies it that much more in the human you know, emotion part. And that's why people are fascinated by it. And, you know, whether you like sharks or don't like sharks, there's this 
fascination with them. You know, it's it's just I think in an innate emotion. You know, not just with sharks, but any large predator, any large animal that you know humans can't control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and with the sharks, you have the added fact that they're in the ocean and you know we can't see what's out there you know we're terrestrial animals even though a lot of us enjoy the ocean you know uh we don't know what's out there it's wilderness that's another thing i i talk about a lot with uh some of the groups i talk to is you know if you're going out to uh you know the amazon or the serengeti you're not going to be wearing a bathing suit and flip-flops. <laughs> you know? You're going to be prepared. You're going to have the right right equipment, right gear. You're going to be, you know, have the precautions in mind of what to take. When we look at the ocean, we look at it, you know, for the most part, people see it as their personal swimming pool, you know, their their place to go recreate. They're in, you know, they're they're going to the beach to swim and surf and they don't look at it as a real wilderness area that we know less about than we know about the jungle and the, you know, the Serengeti. It, it's, it's, um, it's something, you know, besides just the shark aspect and the fear of sharks, just the ocean in general is still such a mystery because it is a, it is a wilderness area and it just doesn't, um, get treated the same way. You don't prepare to go to the beach uh, wearing, you know, protective gear and stuff like that. You go there with a towel, sunscreen, sunglasses, and, you know, sandals and, uh, you know, go there for a good time. You don't really think ahead to what is out there because you can't see beneath the waves. Yeah. So should you be prepared going to the beach? Like if you are, I mean, and yeah, I mean, what would you, how, how, how could you prepare? The, the best, best defense is knowledge. You know, oh, one of good. the one of the big things we do is outreach and education. Um, you know, we try to tell people, don't swim with the bait. You know, don't don't swim where there's seals. A lot oh, of seals around. Oh, that's smart. Or, or schools <laughs> of fish, or you know, that's that's one key thing. You know, don't swim at dawn and dusk. S- swim in groups. Um, you know, be prepared. You know, no. Are there lifeguards on duty? Are there, you know, first aid kits around? Um, a lot of people think it's kind of being dramatic, but, um, you know, it, it it's in your best interest to know. And like I said, the ocean is a wilderness area. It, it is not, you know, your your personal pool. It's, uh, you got to treat it with respect. Yeah. And, and a lot of people, when I say that to them, it's just like I can see when the light bulb finally goes off. You know, a lot of people, especially drawing the analogy to if I was going to send you to the Serengeti, what are you going to bring? You know, are you going to you, you be prepared? Are you, you going to, you know, do your homework, see what's out there, you know, cautiously, you know, travel through the area if you know there's lions hunting, <laughs> you know. Oh. And, uh, you know, people don't, people don't look at the ocean the same way. Yeah. They, that's a good way to look at it. And in Massachusetts, I mean, on these popular beaches, don't they have like shark planes, do they have lifeguards looking out? Well, like, can you give me a little lay of the landscape? Cause I'm in landlocked Idaho, so we don't have a right. shark problem here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In Massachusetts, um, there's a lot of work being done now, um, to try to, you know, share information. There's, there's signs at pretty much every beach 
there's also flags that that the um, beaches will the town managers or the beach managers will fly it's a purple flag with a shark on it it's just to remind everybody that Whoa. you know there are sharks out there um, the signage really tells you you know you're swimming in an area where there's known white sharks and they're oh. feeding on seals there's you can go the national seashore actually has some great they have a great website with all kinds of shark safety tips on you know you can still go into the water but you know don't swim out far don't try swimming with the seals um, <laughs> so there's a lot of awareness going on we also have been tagging sharks um, since 2009 and we have these shark receivers they're basically um, people call them shark, the shark buoys they they listen for the tagged sharks and it's not necessarily uh, it's kind of a you know gives a little false sense of security because people think oh well the shark buoys out there they're listening for the tag sharks well the one big um, point to make is that not all the sharks are tagged only a only a handful of them are in the big picture and uh, the other thing is it's it, it's really to show us the behavior we're looking for patterns um, mm. of behavior whether the sharks are there at certain tides if they're there at certain times of the day you know and then we can use that to say well you know it if you're swimming at this beach it's it's um you know the sharks are more often there at this tide or this time so that's what we're looking for with the with the buoy system it's not really a first line of defense mm -hmm. uh, but it helps we have we have a few real-time receivers that have been placed off the cape which when the shark pings it'll actually send a notification um to the people on the shore the beach managers in and to the um researchers um, but even then, you know, it's, you, you still got to remember that not all the sharks are tagged. So just because there's, you go to the beach and there's no ping on the buoy that day doesn't mean that there's still not a shark out there. So really the best thing we can do is just, you know, raise the awareness that, you know, this is white shark habitat. The sharks are here, you know, that we know that the seals, the big seal haulouts attract them. So, you know, follow all the safety guidelines. Don't swim with the seals. And you'll be surprised to see, you know, we've seen people wading out to try to get selfies with the seals, you know. Oh, <laughs> so, God. In How? the past. So it gets, you know, it's, it's, it, um, you know, ed, ed, that education and outreach, you know, we keep saying, you know the same thing over and over but we we really have to just to make sure that the message is getting to everyone john how close to the shore are these sharks going they're coming with depending on the depth of the water off the beach they're coming within feet of the shore in some feet. areas really yeah yeah really like white sharks white sharks yes really so like a few feet three four feet yeah, within 10 feet. Some of them have even, um, there's a video you can look up on, on YouTube. It's from uh, uh, November um, uh, in, I think, 2018 of a shark nearly beaching itself trying to get a seal. Um, so, And we have had some sharks strand uh, on the oh. beach. But they're, especially on the east side of the Cape, of Cape Cod, the, mm -hmm. the shoreline really drops off dramatically just a few steps out you're over your head 
so the sharks can come really close. And the reason they come really close is because that's where the seals are. The seals like to hang out right there close to the shore at the surf line, and that's where the sharks are coming to look for them. Wow. Okay, so do you even recommend swimming in shark in white shark waters? <laughs> like when you well, and your family go to the beach, do you let yeah, your kids fam- swim? My in family's the- at the beach right now. I guess they are. <laughs> They're swimming as we're having this podcast. So, yeah, you can take precautions, you know. And you all know, right. Not, and that's the thing. That's why people need to do their homework before, you know, they just head to the beach. Know the beach you're going to. You know, some beaches on the on Cape Cod Bay side and. You know, some beaches on the east side of the Cape or on the north shore of Massachusetts, you know, they're not they don't have the steep drop offs. You can wade out, you know, to to your waist or, you know, we try to tell people, you know, when you're in an area and you know, there's been the shark presence, there's bait, there's seals, you know, try to stay close to shore. Sure. Like half, you know, up to your thigh Um, and and just, you know, take precautions in in. Even even though the chance of being bitten is still incredibly rare, you know, it's it's still in everyone's mind. So, you know, you got to if you got to take precautions and the only absolute guarantee to not be bitten is to, you know, not go in the water. But in the grand picture, the odds are in your favor that, you know, you're not going to be bitten. Yeah, isn't it true when sharks bite a person that some that they'll usually let go because we're not what they want to eat because yep. they because they find out that we're not a seal, right? Yeah, exactly. It, um, and it varies with different species of sharks, but you know, with the white sharks, the incidents we've had, um, no one's actually been eaten. They've been bitten, mm. and then unfortunately, you know, you're being bitten by an animal that has you know, evolved a mouth full of steak knives and we're just, you know, soft pink tissue. So even a bite that's just an investigatory bite where they're Mm. just coming to see what you are because you have the shape, you know, you're hitting all the right markers, you know, you're the size of a seal, you know, the shape of a seal. They're still not convinced. They go up and grab onto you. Well, even if it's just a test you know, it's going to do major damage be- just because of the, the tools they have. And that's what happens. They, you know, grab you by the leg and hit a femoral artery and uh. you, you're going to bleed to death really quick. That's why there's also a lot of training going on with um, local surfers and lifeguards and just general public where you can take stop the bleed courses that, you know, teach you how to deal with um you know, a traumatic event, how to apply a tourniquet. And there's tourniquets at a lot of these beaches now too, um, you know, just to be prepared. And, you know, one of the captains, uh, Billy Chapralis, was the first guy uh, tagging white sharks when we started doing this back in 2009. You know, one of his sayings that I think of all the time was, you know, um, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. <laughs> you know, yeah. so you got to be prepared. You got to, you got to, you know, do your homework. Like I keep saying, it's, uh, you know, it's in your best interest to know, you know, where you're going and what's there and, uh, you know, what, what guidelines to follow. And, uh, you can still go and have a great day at the beach and enjoy the beach. You may even get to see a shark. That'd be cool. A lot of people are actually going to the beach looking for sharks in some of these areas. So, 
um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's in, you know, your own hands. You, you got to take just like when you're driving the car or anything else, you know, you got to take, you know, the personal responsibility at, uh, and make sure you stay safe. Now, I've heard that if you are attacked by a shark, you hit it in the nose. Is that just a wives' tale, or is this no, a true thing? Uh, oh, okay. Their noses are full of all kinds of, you know, <laughs> sensory. sensory organs. Okay. Their eyes too. Their uh, eyes. Okay. You know, if if you are in that unfortunate circumstance, you do whatever it takes. You know, punch their eyes, punch their gills. Mm. You know punch their nose you so fight for your you know so your life, don't so. so don't play dead and that's well, not yeah, that's yeah. not gonna work out for you and your favorite. i mean that, it's it's true it's um you know you gotta fight back and whether it's a good point you brought up because uh, you know that uh when you're talking about bears you know yeah. you might you might be better off playing dead depending on the situation yeah um or if you're dealing with a mountain lion, you know, oh. you fight. <laughs> See, different predators have different approaches. But, uh, but yeah, it's uh, with sharks. If you find yourself in that unfortunate circumstance, you know, you, for the most part, they're going to bite and release. But sure. if you find one that, you know, is holding on to you or, you know, coming back, you, you punch in the nose, punch in the eyes, punch in the gills, do whatever you got to do. Have you, I'm sure you've talked to people who've survived uh, white shark attacks. A lot of people, um, and, and it has a lot to do with advances in medicine too, and EMS, sure. you know, a lot of people do um, survive uh, shark bites these days. And, uh, you know, it's traumatic. <laughs> oh. um, but the other interesting thing with the few shark bite victims I have talked to, uh, you know, a lot of them, um, you know, don't blame the shark. Uh, yeah. And they, uh, like um, some of them go on to be actual advocates mm. for, you know, sharks and shark conservation. Rodney Fox from Australia is probably the the top on that list. Mm. Um, if you if you look him up, he survived, you know, back when, you know, there wasn't as much EMS technology emergency response he survived a very very you know horrific shark bite in australia and then went on you know to be a, a huge white shark conservationist and uh has you know probably shown more people white sharks and introduced them to white sharks than than anybody yeah and I, you know, I have to ask you because sharks, I feel like, have one of the worst reputations in the animal world. I mean, I work with right. snakes and spiders, which are pretty high up there. But sharks just, I mean, do you blame a lot of that on, on Jaws? And what are your thoughts on Jaws? <laughs> what are your thoughts on that movie? Has it been I a actually, disservice? <laughs> I know a lot of people talk about, you know, the Jaws effect. And there sure. definitely was a little bit of a negative impact. I shouldn't even say a little bit. There was definitely a negative impact after Jaws came out, but, but as a historian of sharks, <laughs> Jaws played on a fear we already had or people already had. Um, if you look back at some of the, you know, Watson and the shark, I don't know if you know that, that um, painting, there was also a Winslow Homer painting um, a photo of the Gulf Stream with a man on, on a raft with shark fins circling them, you know, people were already, 
you know, already had a natural fear of sharks. Uh, mm-hmm. Going back 1916, the Matawan Creek, um, you can look at World War II, you know, U.S. Navy training videos. You know, there people already had a fear of sharks. I think Jaws just played on that fear and just really, you know, put it in everybody's face. Good <laughs> movie. Became, I mean, good movie. You have to. I mean, I yeah, think it's a good I, movie. You know, I'm a fan of Jaws. I've met Peter Benchley. Oh, wow. You know, uh, Jaws, there's was a show on, uh, on I think, uh, Discovery one year called uh, How Jaws Changed the World. And you can talk to a lot of my colleagues that, you know, were kind of inspired by Jaws or, mm. you know, pushed towards the field because they'd ask, you know, could a shark really do that? You know, and it started asking, you know, bringing up questions in people's minds of, you know, how is how much of this is fact, how much of this is fiction. And, um, you know, overall, you got to be able to draw the line between, you know, the entertainment value and the reality of it. And um, a lot of people you can look and you see that after Jaws, there were a lot of people out there trying to catch white sharks and trying to, you know, get trophies. Um, but even before Jaws, there were still people out there tar- catching white sharks and, you know, going for records, not just here in the United States, but also in Australia and uh, other places. So, um, yes, there was a Jaws effect, but, you know, there was still, even before Jaws, um, you know, a, a a natural fear that people had of sharks that also made them fascinated with sharks. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the stats I've read, you know, are just, just so horrific uh, regarding sharks and how many are killed each year. Is it said like over a hundred million are taken each year, something along the lines, millions of them are killed, um, whether by catch or for shark fin soup out of fear. Are those yeah. stats correct? Well, I, the, the hundred million a year has been perpetuated, you know, a lot for mm-hmm. years for, yeah. a, you know, a long time. So, you know, there there's in cases, there's probably more. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that, that hundred million seems to be, um, a stat that people constantly fall back on. But, you know, I, I would say I warn against using that every year because, if people keep saying a hundred million sharks are getting caught every year for 20 years, you know, it looks like, well, there's enough sharks. <laughs> there's a sustainable shark fishery. You know, it's, it's not, it's, you know, different area. You got to look at it in a, you know, in a more detail to see, you know, where the sharks are being caught, you know, reporting, there's always under reporting, you know, it, it's fisheries management is tough because uh, mm-hmm. it's hard to get accurate counts and we do our best you know we we try to monitor fisheries but in other parts of the world there's not as you know much monitoring so it's really hard to say specifically you know how many sharks worldwide every year are getting killed um because there's always going to be you know areas that aren't being counted or represented but what we do know as being as scientists from around the world that have been monitoring populations that in in most places populations are diminishing because we're seeing less sharks um and and that's you know the real take-home message is you know in most places we're seeing 
a decline in shark species. Uh, not in every place, because there are, you know, like we're talking about the white sharks in the Atlantic off of Cape Cod. Now, also in California, we're seeing an increase um, in white shark numbers, uh, but that's due to management, there's protection. Other species, too, that I work with, the sand tiger shark, mm. they were pretty much exterminated from Massachusetts wow. uh, back in the early 1900s uh, due to directed fisheries for them. Um, you can read, you know, Fishes of the Gulf of Maine um, by Bigelow and Schroeder, and they talk about sand tiger sharks being the most abundant large coastal shark. And then, you know, when I grew up, you, you couldn't find a sand tiger shark. Well, now all of a sudden, in the early 2000s, we started seeing these newborn sand tiger sharks showing up in Massachusetts. And uh, we started documenting more and more of them. And it's thanks to the protection that was put in place in the late uh, 1990s that protected sand tiger sharks, the remaining stock of sand tiger sharks. So there is, you know, there are some success stories, and and uh, but overall, shark populations are definitely. Um, you know, in decline in a lot of regions. And, and it, you know, it's a lot of people like to, you know, just generalize the, the word shark, you know, but there are so many different species and some that are, you know, way more at risk than others. Some species of sharks we work on, you know, we look at um, their mortality, their, survive, their survival rate after, we catch them and release them. We tag them, and we also take blood to see, look at um, the stress physiology, see how stressed they were and whether they survived. Some species are really tough. Some species can, you know, like the sand tiger sharks we catch, you know, they they can handle being caught and handled and tagged, and they, you know, we release them up here off Massachusetts, and they show up off the Carolinas, and some of them wow. even go all the way to Cape Canaveral, Florida. But then there are other species that are really susceptible to stress hammerhead sharks oh. um, stuff like that that just being caught even if you release them just the stress and trauma of the fight can can um can kill them and add on top of that the crazy reproductive strategies of sharks white sharks you know we know very little about um yeah. White sharks, but we do know, um, you know, they give birth to small litters of of pups. The most is ever, that has been documented that I know of was 14 pups, but the average has been about, you know, six to ten. So, you know, it doesn't take much pressure to wipe out a population of of sharks that have so few pups. But then there are sharks um, that have um, a different form of reproduction where they can actually give birth to dozens of babies at a time. Still sounds like great. They're giving birth to more like hammerhead sharks and tiger sharks can have a lot of pups. But in the grand scheme, when you compare it to something like a codfish that can literally have, you know, they have, you know, millions of eggs, mm. even if a small percentage of those get fertilized and go on to, you know, survive, there's still, you know, hundreds of thousands that survive or thousands compared to, you know, a shark, even the sharks that have the, have the most pups, they're still only giving birth to only a, only a few dozen at, at best. So, you know, fishing pressure on a, on that type of species is going to be hard to sustain. Um, so there's a lot of, when you hear numbers 
and talk and hear people talk about sharks and in, in, in danger. It's a generalization uh, that covers a lot of species, but it's mainly because of, you know, their reproductive strategies, their their sensitivity to stress. There's so many factors that play into it. So it's um, there's a, you know a lot a lot more to it. But the but it is true. You know, most shark species or a lot of shark species um, that are, you know, targeted by fishermen are in decline. And we know that whether you want to quote the hundred million a year are killed or, mm-hmm. you know, is it 73 million or, you know, that's kind of all really semantics. When you go to the areas where they're being fished and you see less and less of them, you, you know, it's obvious that, you know, they're, they're in decline. Yeah. And go, I want to go back to, white sharks and by the way it's interesting how you say white sharks because i'm sure you hear all the time great white sharks why is it do, do you cringe when people say great white sharks do you, are you no. just like ah oh, such an amateur <laughs> no 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 i actually in the same conversation i will say great white white okay. shark uh it's you know i use white shark okay. um just uh, because it's i guess just easier for me to say it's shorter nice and sweet white shark mm-hmm. most people don't even can't you know i say shock you know <laughs> i love that shock yeah shock ah. shock and people are like when i'm talking on my phone on siri and i say shock shock it says it spells out shock but um great white you know white shark it's all you know interchangeable okay you know, rose by any other name is still a rose. You know, yeah. it's okay. still the same same th- creature. So okay, okay. So really quick about the white sharks. What fascinates me is there is so much we do not know about them, and those years, like I I believe listening to a podcast about white sharks is how we don't know, like what happens like when they're juveniles, right? Like it's a complete right. mystery. Is that something that you're? I mean, we don't know what happens. Like they're born and then they go somewhere and then because isn't it very rare that you'll come across juvenile white sharks actually we're seeing more and more and uh, we know that we know that the new york bite area off of off of um new york long island northern new jersey up to um you know southern new england we're seeing more juveniles but the new york bite area down off long island is an area where it's definitely a white shark nursery, and it's actually Ooh. was first discovered in the 1960s that that was an area where you could find these newborn white sharks. With the new tagging technology, we're getting a picture into where these sharks go, and okay. um, and you know we're seeing how how they travel. They they stay coastal. They go uh, down south, just like you know the adults do. They have their own um, you know little migration routes and we're seeing when they come back um you know where how far north they go you know it's it's um like really science that's going on now that's you know shedding new light on onto these juveniles um and you know there's uh i think um a couple different papers that have recently came out on movements of, of juvenile white sharks. Um, and you know, we're, we're getting a better glimpse into it. We're also seeing up off Southern new England, you know, the historically there's been actual juveniles. One of the, one of the old 
records off of Massachusetts was a juvenile shark that was uh, only three feet long, so wow. pretty much a newborn. So we know they've historically, like I said, been here. But now, you know, the technology that's out there between um, the tags that are actually being put on these sharks and also technology like the baited um, uh, underwater camera systems that are they called bruvs, mm-hmm. um that are being put out and deployed uh, all over the place. You know, they also capture video uh, video of juvenile white sharks okay. off Long Island and off, uh, you know, off southern New England. So we're getting more and more of a glimpse into the into the life of juvenile sharks thanks to the advances in technology. Okay, and do they do they travel? I mean, aren't they solitary, or, or do they travel in schools? Like, I'm they the don't travel in schools, they but don't. they they. You know, uh, I just had this question yesterday because we had three shark, white sharks that were spotted off of Chatham. And um, they weren't traveling together, but they're traveling in the same vicinity because, okay. you know, that they're, you know, attracted and prefer the same water temperatures, the same okay. uh, habitat, the same food sources. So they're, you know, they're using the same areas. Um, but they're not swimming in schools like other species of sharks, like dogfish, you know, or a schooling shark. They travel in more like a loose um, aggregation uh, where they're all in the same general vicinity for the same reason, but not necessarily traveling together. Will, uh, will they be predated on by adult white sharks? Um, yeah, they could be predated on by other species of sharks as well. Okay. Um, you know, there's um, white sharks have been documented eating other species of sharks, not just other white sharks, but, you know, blue sharks and even spiny dogfish. So, yeah, they, they you know, when they're small like that, they're, you know, susceptible to predation by larger sharks. Yeah. And how long does it take? So when they're born, you said around three feet. How long does it take a, a, a pup to become a full size adult? It takes decades. Decades, um, really. Yes. And that—that's another reason why shark okay. populations in general, you know, um, are susceptible to fishing pressure and overfishing, and um, can easily be impacted because it takes them so long to mature. So, f- from what we know, the doing you know age and growth studies on white sharks, white shark males mature around twelve feet. And that'll be in the late 20s for age. Okay. Um, Females actually mature at around 14 feet. Oh, wow. Okay. And they don't really reach that size uh, again until like the late 20s, early 30s. Wow. And how long can they live? They can live uh, over 70 years. Over 70 years? Yeah. What? Oh, my gosh. This is a long-lived creature. Yeah. And... Because, you know, aging of sharks is so difficult, there's, you know, there's a lot of people that think that's an actual underestimate of how long they can live. But, uh, you know, the current, the, the current um, science that's been, you know, going on looking into the aging growth of sharks, you know, suggests they can live over 70 years. Of white sharks can live over 70 years. Wow. That is just 
just incredible. So some of the best places um, as we're wrapping up this podcast interview, if I want to see white sharks, would you say Massachusetts? Like what are my odds of seeing a white shark? If I book a trip there, are they pretty uh, high? High for depending on who you book the trip with, it, it could be high. It's interesting because as much as there, there is a, you know, resurgence with people seeing them where they're, you know, being drawn closer to shore by, by seals, the average person that goes out to look for one is going to have a hard time finding one. <laughs> really? Because yes. Um, and it's just the, you know, nature of it. You know, these sharks, even when they come close, they're in, you know, kind of in a stealth mode, but people do get lucky. They do see them from the beach. Your best bet would, there's a couple of companies that actually well, are running charters now. And okay. the key is to have a pilot, a spotter plane and even for the research, we depend on the spotter plane. It's almost impossible to find them without a spotter plane that can see them swimming over the sandy bottom. Uh, California right now is, you know, you, you probably have a better chance of seeing one in California than Massachusetts because oh. they're also experiencing, um, you know, a rebound in the population and seeing more juveniles close to shore. Okay. And, uh, you know, you can definitely, you know, look online and see the videos of the surfers and paddle boarders that are oh, out there God. documenting these sharks. But, um, there are ways to see one. If, if you want to see one, you know, now there's eco tourism developing just to take people out, but just on your own, if you were going to go out and look, it would be really hard to do. Okay. You'd have to have a, have luck on your side. So you know how people dive with them in South Africa. Are there any companies that do that here at the States? No. Um, I think there in California there used to be I'm not sure if it still exists that would take people out diving. In Massachusetts, it's prohibited right now. Oh, um, why? There are shark diving companies okay. uh, that will take you out to look for other species of sharks. Um, and you may see a white shark on one of those trips, but in the in the uh, waters of Massachusetts, which are state waters go out to 3 miles, there's you know, restrictions and prohibitions on baiting and trying to attract white sharks. Oh, so that's why they don't want that. They want to. Right. Okay. Interesting. Very cool. Well, John, thank you. Thank you so much. Do you mind to stick around for the after show for a couple more minutes? I want to ask you about something that's on my mind. Okay, sure. You ready? Awesome. Okay. Now, listeners, if you want to join us for the after show, all you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. But John, for listeners, where can they find you? I know you have a Twitter handle. Yeah, if uh, anybody wants to look me up or has questions, they can contact me uh, through Twitter um, um, at MA underscore sharks. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. You can also email me. My email's mass, M-A-S-S, sharks, S-H-A-R-K-S, at gmail.com. And uh, I'm always encouraging people to send me their sightings, but if you have questions, you can... You can reach me that way too. That's awesome. And you know how I, I wanted to book you on the show because I went to your Twitter and it said in your bio, you pronounce sharks, shocks. And I was like, this is shocks. the guy. This is the guy. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much, listeners. I hope you join us for the after show. 
Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.